Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard. Guys, this is a special episode. I'm joined by a friend of mine who I met recently. His name is Peter Nieves. He's got an amazing story. Peter is at the top of his game when it comes to being an attorney. He's an electrical engineer. He's got a background in electrical engineering. He's got his degree in that. He's also an award-winning attorney. He's a patent attorney, a patent litigator, a patent prosecutor. He also works with trademark, copyright, and trade secrets. Guys, this is an outstanding interview you're not going to want to miss because Peter will tell you his story of how he used discipline to get to the top of where he is, but it was met with the favor of God to push him into these new realms of leadership. And we really talk about how to demonstrate the kingdom of God in your everyday life. And most importantly, on the job, in the marketplace, in the workplace. Guys, let's get into it. You are listening to Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the kingdom man. If you've ever wondered, how can I be the man God created me to be? Or maybe you asked yourself, what purpose does God have for my life? If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. My goal is simple, to help you access the unfair advantage all Christian men have and give you actionable strategies to reach your full potential. My name is Josh Kachadorian. I am a best-selling author, husband, father, disciple, and son of Jesus Christ. If you're ready to get off the sidelines, upgrade into your identity as a kingdom man, and take the territory that God has for you, then it's time to raise the standard. Welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard Leadership, Mindset, and Development for the Kingdom Man. Guys, we got a really special episode lined up for you right now. I'm joined by my friend, Peter Nieves. Peter, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Hey, thanks, Josh. Such an honor to be here. Great to join you. Yeah, I've been excited about this conversation. You know, Peter, just for the people listening, you know, I've met you last year. You know, we met a couple months ago, probably back in like September, October of last year. And we got into a conversation like we were both at a conference. We started talking and it just struck me right away. You know, we had a couple things in common. Um, the the listeners of this show know that I work in the corporate world, um, but you also do. You're a corporate attorney. So I want to get a little bit of your background. And that led into just a great conversation where we had a few things in common and um, why don't I let you share your background a little bit? And then I want to talk about why I was so interested. And I actually knew from the moment I met you, I'm like, I got to interview this guy. There's some some synergy here. And I heard, you know, just the way you were doing your work in the marketplace. I don't want to get too far ahead, but I, I know there's a lot that you can share and that our audience can benefit from listening to you on. So, Peter, if you would just walk us through your background a little bit so everyone knows who you are and uh, where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So just so honored to be here. This is great. Um, so the situation is I was actually born in the projects of Brooklyn, just to bring it back to so people understand where I'm coming from. Um, my parents were divorced, like when I was very young, like eight. So my mother basically raised me by herself until my father won custody with my stepmother, then things just changed. But the point was that I was always in a back going back then I was always in kind of a, a difficult situation, right? So just trying to survive. Like, I mean, I had situations where I was like sleeping on the bench in a park and people would bring me food. I mean, it was, it was a tough start. Then things got different, but I always had this kind of protective nature about me. 
Like it just it, it just started from childhood, right? And protecting my mom and going forward from there. And so I went to college. Um, my parents had no money to send me to college. Went to college for electrical engineering and um, had no money to do it. And just by the grace of God, honestly, I was able to go because my parents claimed me as a dependent. And for those people who know, if you continue to claim your children as a dependent, your children can't get grants and they can't get scholarships There's certain things they can't get if they're named as a dependent. So it seemed like everything was against me. Well, I get accepted to SUNY Buffalo for electrical engineering. And as I'm going to school for electrical engineering, I have no money to do this. And God just opens this door to do work with this re the home residency department of the college. And so they cover my room and board. Just all of a sudden, they cover that. I'm working three jobs while doing this. Then I'm about maybe two months away from graduating. And I'm working two waiter jobs and one job with CalSpan at the same time in electrical engineering. My focus is electrical engineering. And I'm miserable. And one waiter comes up to me one day and he says, Peter, you're driving me crazy. What is your problem? Like, you're going to graduate and make more money than any of us here. You're getting an education from a great institution. What is your problem? And I said, Michael, I'm, I'm bored. Like, I'm just bored. Like, the way I'm wired, I need to do new things. I need to be engaged in new technologies and new things like that. And, and he said, well, have you ever heard of patent law? And I said, I have no idea what patent law is. I said, well, what's patent law? He's, and he says, that's what my brother-in-law is. He's a, a patent attorney. You need to look it up immediately. And when I looked it up and found out that I could deal with new technologies literally every day of my life, I said, that's what I want to do. But the problem was that I'm now only like a month and a half away from the timeline to go into, you know, this other chapter of my life. And so I'm late to filing applications for law schools and all sorts of stuff. So I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to apply to the number one law school in the world for patent law, which I definitely don't qualify for because I didn't have the grades for it back then. Um, and I'm also going to apply to one of the not so great law schools in the world and see what happens. So I get the letter from the not so great law school and it says, congratulations, you did not make it in. Uh, so, uh, the word congratulations wasn't there. I threw that in. So basically <laughs> they said, you didn't make it. But then I get the letter from the number one law school in the world for IP. It's called Frank and Pierce Law Center. And they said, we love your story. We want to meet you. And so I fly out there and I meet with them. And long story short, they asked me to attend Frank and Pierce Law Center, number one school in the world for patent law. I have no money. Like I still have that. That part had not changed in my life. Still had no money. But somehow the Lord just lines up things just amazingly that I would get accepted to this, this incredible law school, get trained in patent law. And I'd meet my wife there because she worked in the admissions office. And um, and so everything starts to line up. In my first semester, I'm doing horribly because I think like an electrical engineer. Engineers think very, they think very mathematically. Everything is yes or no. The answer one plus one is two, always. There's no exception to that. Well, law in law school, every, there is no definitive answer. Your, your answer is dependent upon what you can argue and what you can make truth, right? There's certain standards, but you have to 
argue them to win the argument. So there's no black and white. Everything's gray. You have to say what you want it to be. So I'm doing horribly in law school. So one day, one professor pulls me over and says, you're an engineering student, aren't you? And I said, how in the world did you know that? Did you know that? He says, because everything that you answer, you answer, this is the answer always. And that's not the way it works in law school. And that's why you're doing so horribly in your first semester. So I need to teach you how to think like a lawyer. And I literally had to learn how to think like a lawyer. So all of a sudden, I now had my left and my right side of the brain getting used. The mathematical scientific side plus the logical side. So I started engaging in intellectual property law and the patent law. One thing led to another, uh, and I ended up working underneath the best of the best in different specific areas, like in patent litigation, in patent prosecution, in trademark law, copyright law, trade secret law. So I am so remarkably blessed in that the gift set that I was given covers all areas of intellectual property, when usually it's like three or four different attorneys to cover what I do. And it's just by the grace of God that this has actually happened. And so that's that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Um, Peter, that, that's an do, amazing do story. I mean, to, go ahead. I, yeah, no, I do. I want to hear more. I have a lot more questions for you, but let's just like recap a few things here because um, you're from Brooklyn. I lived in I lived in New York yeah. and I worked in Brooklyn for a little bit. So we have that in common. I knew we had that commonality mm -hmm. there. But um, what an amazing story. So coming from like a struggling family and then breaking in. And I never knew, you never told me that it was a waiter who introduced you to patent law. Yeah. He was the guy that gave it you really the idea. It really was. And it was funny because it was funny because he was frustrated with me. Like, because I, it's a fine dining restaurant. It's called Daffodils in Buffalo, New York. And, um, you know, we, you work hard to make tips, right? Just to survive. And then to, and then uh, the waiter, not the waiter, the uh, the chef will let you take some leftovers home. So that would be your food, right? So that's how I'm getting through college, through working these jobs. And the waiter, he literally pulls me aside. He says, you're just, and he doesn't use a nice word. He says, you're beeping me off. Yeah. And I said, yeah. what am I doing? He says, you're so miserable. You should be happy. You're not going to be in this environment. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he was the guy who introduced me to patent law. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, keep keep going with the story because I'm on the edge of my seat and I want to find out what happens next. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So so my wife is the one I'm like I'm like in my summer of my second year in law school. I've got a job lined up for the summer with a small IP boutique in New Hampshire. And the guy sends me an email of all things. The owner of the law firm sends me an email one week before the job's supposed to start. And he says, Sorry, we don't have space for you. Now, if you're if you know anything about law lawyers and law school, that is catastrophic. In your second year, you must have a job. If you don't have a, a job, you don't you don't get to try something out in your third year. Once your third year is over, you need to be in the field. So this person basically said, I have a position for you. Now I'm pulling the rug under from underneath you. Now I had been dating my wife at the time, right? She she we weren't married then. But we have been dating and she said, look, you need to focus on law school. You need to pass your finals. Don't worry about this. I'll get you a job. And so I, I had to learn how to basically submit all control to somebody else, which, oh, my gosh, that's such a, you know, when you when you've been in an environment where you've gone through physical, emotional and other abuse and 
it's very hard for you to let go of control. Like you want to mm-hmm. control everything, yeah. but to literally be put in a position where your future uh, and the blessings that God is waiting to bestow upon you are dependent upon upon you being will t- willing to submit all control, to lay it down. That that moment, that moment is so important. So I didn't have another choice. So I said, okay, fine. I focused on school. One day she runs into the library full speed, says, you got to come with me now. And I said, where are we going? She says, I've got this guy on the phone. You need to talk to him now. So I run over. He was, Unfortunately, he wasn't available anymore, but he just sent an email. That was Jeff Keister. He was the hiring partner at Thomas Caden Horstmeyer Risley in Atlanta, Georgia, an IP boutique firm. And um, long story short, he's the one who interviews me. I go through like 12 or 13 interviews and he hires me. Um, and so that was my first job. That gentleman was the number one person in, in, in internet law. He was the one who was the big name in internet law. Everybody knew his name. Well, I became basically the guy that he was training. So he was my mentor. So I learned on under the number one guy in the industry on internet law. Wow. And one day he said, hey, why don't we buy a, why don't we create a law review article? So I said, huh, that's a good idea. So we did that in the third year. That law review article became required reading at law schools, in different law schools. So all of a sudden, by honoring this man who had this authority in this in this region, honoring him, it just led to this favor that fell upon me where my name was attached to his and I essentially was like riding his coattails. All of a sudden, my name started growing in the industry by the mere fact of allowing myself to, to let go of control, let my wife open the door for me to get a job, and then to obey, you know, essentially, or become obedient to this gentleman who was like my mentor, who then literally probably brought me up 50% like that with one article. Um, just incredible. And so now all of a sudden, my name started growing. I became an authority in internet law um, while I was growing in patent law. Uh, so that's kind of how I started in my career in Atlanta, Georgia. But then um, my wife's, unfortunately, my wife's uh, family had some health issues. So I decided to bring them back to New Hampshire when I was only half a year from partnership. So I was literally like half a year from becoming a partner at Thomas Kane Horstmeyer Risley. Um, and, you know, the most important thing is family. Like, I don't, I don't care how much money you make. I, I don't care how many. I, I have all the accolades. Like, I have Lawyer of the Year. I have Woodward White. I have Super Lawyers. I have American Bar Association Foundry member. That's 1% of the lawyers in the world get invited to that. I have all the accolades, but you can have all that. If you don't have your family, your number one ministry is your family. Right. I don't care how right. big your other ministry is. If your family is not being ministered to, well, you don't have a ministry because that's that's the one that you're accountable for the most. And so I decided to move back to New Hampshire from Atlanta, Georgia. This man calls me up out of nowhere. Never heard his name says, I've got a law firm in Tucson, Arizona. I also have an office in New Hampshire. 
I can't run the one in New Hampshire because I'm in Tucson, Arizona with my wife. How do you feel about me giving you the list? Josh, how do I, how do you feel about me giving you the law firm? <laughs> what? Ridiculous. Yeah. Like, what? Wh- what? I, and I'm like, who are you? Like, I, I've never even heard of your name. And so um, this gentleman opens up the door. He starts introducing me to certain people. God's favor falls so heavily that I land MIT as a client. I land Harvard as a client. I land all these big clients. He had Brookstone that was doing some work. But then all of a sudden, I start working with them. They become one of the biggest clients of the firm. Now, it's going from just me and one associate to two other guys that I hire within two years. I'm essentially making more than he's making like, and that's just the favor of God. Yeah. And so unfortunately things weren't working though. And so I think that was part of it, you know? And so that led to some issues and I really felt it was time for me to go because um, it it just wasn't working. Like we couldn't see eye to eye, you know? And so all of a sudden the Lord opened this door to work at Sheehan Finney Bass and Green they had tried twice to build an IP practice. They f- didn't work multiple times. Um, and then uh, they looked at me and they said, hey, let's interview you and if you interview you and see how it goes. I hit it off with all the partners. That was 17 years ago, actually 16 years and probably 11 months ago. We've been ranked the number one IP firm in New Hampshire eight years in a row now. All God. I mean, just all. There's no way I could do any of this. How can a guy who was sleeping on the bench of a park in, you know, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, before it was penthouses, you know, when it was projects, when it was that kind of environment, um, how can that guy be the head of the IP department in one of the most well-known IP firms or IP corporate law firms in in charge of the IP department of that corporate law firm in New Hampshire. That's also in Massachusetts. Yeah. It's not possible. Wow. It's just, there's no way. Yeah. So that's kind of what's brought me to here. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing story. I want to dig into a few things there because I have more questions for you and I want to continue to to hear more about where you are right now, but there's two themes that are sticking out to me as you're telling that story. There's a theme of perseverance and dedication to put in the work, you know, it's not an easy task. Um, you know, you got into school to become an electrical engineer, number one, and then want to go on to continue study and pursue law. That's a whole nother level of dedication, preparation, and a process that you're signing up and you're submitting to. So I see a long-term theme here, like you were dedicated and you put in work and there's diligence, there's discipline within that. But then at the same time, as you're telling me the story, there's all these supernatural elements that there's lots of people that go to law school, but they haven't encountered the favor that you've encountered and what you just told me. Um, and we know there's a bell-shaped curve for every, you know, for every class, for every occupation level or whatever there is. Some people rise to the top, not everybody does, and you've certainly rise to the rose to the top. So dedication, discipline, you know, that perseverance. To, to submit yourself to the process and put in the work, but also these series of suddenlies that you're telling me where it's like suddenly the phone rings and I'm being offered, uh, you know, someone wants to give me their practice. Suddenly I'm with the number one internet lawyer and now 
you know, now my name is attached to this article that's required reading. So can you just unpack a little bit? I mean, we have guys listening from all different walks of life and I'm fascinated at always looking whenever I encounter this in life or talk to someone like you, there's a role of diligence and discipline, but there's also this supernatural element, this kiss from heaven that's you couldn't earn. You didn't do anything to get it. Um, can you just talk to me about those two themes and like how they interplayed through your journey and and what's what's the lessons for us listening on how we can encounter that, like the hard work element, yeah, the discipline? Absolutely. That's that is really well stated, Josh. I mean, honestly, it's that's that's really well stated. Um, yeah, so what what I find in life is you can definitely be diligent. You can work hard. You can I mean, there there are people who are homeless who have worked hard, right? Just to be clear. Like there's there's unfortunate situations that happen to people, right? But we we're supposed to work as hard as we can towards what we're what we're pursuing. But whatever man, whatever man makes, man has to maintain. Whatever God helps man make, God will help maintain. Very different, very different circumstance. When you can come into agreement with what the Lord is trying to do in a season, oh my gosh, you can ride a wave. There's a difference. If there's any surfers out there, if you ever hit a wave, you know, the wave goes for a certain period of time. But if you can ride the wave, you can go a really long, long time. So you can stay in your lane and then the wave comes and it crashes and you're done. Or you can ride that wave all the way down as it's forming and cresting the entire way. And you can literally take a ride that's like five minutes, 10 minutes long if you ride it the right way, right? This is coming to me because I'm not a surfer. So this sure, is coming to sure. me. Sure, no, keep water. going. Yeah, how do so we this cooperate is relate with the wave? To a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's something about understanding that, yes, you can work as hard as you can, but unless you come into agreement with what the Lord is trying to do and what he's called you to do, you're essentially trying to build something that you're going to have to maintain yourself. As you're doing that, that leads to anxiety. That leads to panic attacks. That Been there, done that. I, I went through that season. Had it not been for the grace of God, I literally was in a position where li- every day I was going through these anxiety attacks and all this other garbage. One day, I'm, I'm also a bow hunter. So one day I'm out in the woods. I'm in a tree like 25, 30 feet up in the air, right? And I get hit with an attack. And I and it, it just, you know, you feel like you're dying, you can't breathe, all these other things that are going on. And I turned to God and I said, I can't live like this anymore. I said, you have to take this, or I just I don't want to do this anymore. You have to take this. Mm-hmm. Boom, gone. Literally, Josh, like in a second, it was gone. Now I had tried everything. I tried the natural things. I even tried like Ativan. I tried you know, passion flower, chamomile, magnesium, you name it. It took that point of coming before the Lord and saying, I can't do this. I need you. When I did that, boom, completely gone, man. I mean, just, it, it's amazing. Do you know what it's like to all of a sudden be able to have your mind back? It's, it's incredible. And so this was many years ago that he did that. But I was working very, very hard, as you named it, like I worked hard to get into college. I worked hard to, you know, do law school. I worked very hard, but there's only so much you can do on your own. You've got to come into agreement with God and you've got to present what you're trying to do to him and then allow him to guide you into what doors to go into, what school to go to, what what practice to focus on. Because you can be banging on a door that you're not supposed to open. 
And you can bang that door hard enough. Look, man is very powerful. You can bang on that door hard enough that you make it crack open. It was never supposed to open. It was your own will that made that door open. But that door was never intended to open for you. But it opened because why? You're an ambassador of the kingdom of, you know, of the kingdom of God here in the first heaven. Like you can, by all means, make things happen. I mean, that's who you are. But it's a lot easier if you just find out what river you're supposed to be on and just float down that river with them. It becomes a lot easier. So diligence, incredibly important. Hard work, incredibly important. For hearing the voice of God is probably the most important so that your hard work will be in the right area. Submitting your plans to the Lord first to really align with what his will is for your life. So Peter, I need to know a little bit more about your story because what we didn't touch on is how you came to the Lord. And like throughout this journey, did you always have a relationship with Jesus or did you meet him along the way? Like where did this submitting your plans to the Lord come in? And if you could just tell us a little bit about your personal testimony, how that weaves into the story, um, that would be incredibly helpful. Absolutely. Uh, So I, I, since my parents, well, my father and my stepmother were involved when I was around eight. So, and I call her my mother because she is my mother by all by all means, you know, purposes. Um, she was incredible in, in getting me aligned and where I needed to go. Um, her mother, Anadina Martinez, prayed every day. She was on her knees every day in the Bible every day, and she was always praying over me. Now, I didn't have anything to do with this. Like I. I just had a praying grandmother. That's all it was. Like I, I I went to church, but I went by myself because my parents didn't go. So they dropped me off and then they leave and then they come back to pick me up. And so I was there. But many times I go into the backyard of the church and play basketball while church was going on. And then I go back into the church before my parents would show up to pick me up. So they thought I was still playing. Now they did wonder every once in a while, why is it that you know, your, your suit jacket and your shirt are like wet with sweat, you know? So I did get smart enough to at least take my jacket off and my shirt off and play in a t-shirt and then start putting the shirt back on before my parents picked me up. I don't know if they actually know that to this day. So yeah, maybe they'll find out now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so I knew of God, but I never knew God. And, and unfortunately there are, there are many Christians out there that, that know of God have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but have never met him, have never built a relationship with him, you know, and and it's, you know, heaven starts now. It doesn't start when you're dead. If, if you waste all that time, oh my gosh, you're like, you have literally, just as a quick aside, you have the armor of God, the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, which is the name above all names. You have the angels. They have charge over you. At least you dash your foot against the stone. You have the promises of God. You have the Holy Spirit, the same one that Jesus had, who's watching your back non-stop like you're an ambassador of god the bride of christ you're a servant of god a priest you're considered a king like you have all of these things a soul like all these things that you are and you're gonna wait until you die to start experiencing god are you kidding me right, right. <laughs> start no, now don't wait yeah i so, mean there's so many people that yeah, know him so, as savior only they don't know they don't know jesus as lord yes. they're not walking in fellowship so yeah, preach, man. Keep yes. going. And there, there's so much more available for you that will transform your life. So for me, like I knew of God, but I never knew Jesus. Like I never could say I really knew him. 
Well, all of a sudden I started becoming sick and nobody could figure out what was going on. Like my body was having these weird neurological things and muscle pains and headaches and dizziness and, and just, just joint issues and just so many things. Nobody could figure out what was going on. And um, I just started spending more and more time with God. I was like, there is no solution. Like no doctor could come with a solution. And as I was spending more and more time with him, I started to get to know him and I started to fall in love with the Lord. Like he took away anxiety. He took away an addiction to pornography. I was a 20 years ago. I was addicted to pornography. And that came because I was sexually abused before I was at the age of eight. And so I always had this thing going on throughout my life, like seeking someone to comfort me, to take care of me, went through all of that. And then all of a sudden, this anxiety stuff hits and all these other things. But when I was going to have a daughter, you know, um, I knew God. I knew God better. That was 20 years ago. I knew him better then, right? Not the way I do now, but I knew him better. But I knew enough to know that being addicted to pornography actually opens up things in the spiritual realm for attack on your marriage, on your kids, on your health, all sorts of stuff. So I said, I can't do this. I'm about to have a daughter. This has to stop. So I tried stopping, you know, looking at pornography. Didn't work. Tried for months. Couldn't stop. Didn't actually know I was addicted. Like I, I thought you could just stop anytime. But what people don't realize is pornography is actually spiritual as well. It's not just physical. It's not just emotional. There's a spiritual aspect to it. And uh, there's, I can go into more detail, but I won't right now. So the, but the point is that I needed help. Well, one day I'm in the, in the dining area because I would intentionally go there at night because I didn't want to look at anything bad in my own office. So I would make myself work in a public area. And my mother, my mother, yeah, my wife went to bed and I started crying and I said, I can't stop. I just went before God and I said, I can't stop. I need your help. You, I can't do this. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I, I need your help. Please help me. Boom, this power comes in that I had, oh my gosh, like this rush goes right through me, like literally through my entire being. Like this coolness just boom right through, gone, 100% gone. Like it was like I was cleansed completely. Like, and so much to the fact that I couldn't even watch R-rated movies. Like if I saw people kissing too long, I'd have to turn away because it didn't seem right. Like he just cleansed that part of me completely. And so it just led to that transformation. So I, I was like, hold it. Anxiety gone. Addiction to pornography gone. I need to get to know this guy. Like, I need to spend some more time with this guy. Like, if that those two things could be gone, that no doctor and no man could resolve that, like that, yeah. what else could happen? Can, can and so you all of a sudden I started spending more time. What was that? I was just gonna. I was gonna ask you. Can you overlay what time in your career path is this happening? Like, are you in school? Are you already on the job? Like, when are you starting to I'm know? Already in the with job. That You're already there. Okay. Yeah, I'm already in the job. I'm already like 15 years into my career. You know, I'm already like you know 10 to 15 years already in my career. I'm suffering from all these things. My job has no idea. You know, and matter of fact, in my worst, this is this is amazing. 
in my worst health-wise year, I had the highest origination that I ever had. And I think to this day, the highest origination in the law firm ever. It was like God saying, it's not you, Peter. The reason why you've got all these clients, it has nothing to do with you. Yes, you can work hard, but I'm the one who's blessing you and bestowing upon you these blessings so that you can bless others as well. So literally in that year, like I wasn't going to client development activities. I wasn't going to the chicken dinners. I wasn't taking clients out to lunch and to dinner. Nothing. No golf. No nothing. Because I was physically in a really bad place. So I wasn't even going to the office a lot. Well, that year I had the highest it's like two, I mean it was like 2.5, 2.7 million. Like just numbers that were so high. And so management asked, how did you get those numbers? I said, Jesus. <laughs> I had no other answer. I was like, you want the truth, Jesus? And then, all right, Pete, cut it out. Really, what happened? I'm not kidding, guys. Did you see me in the office? Did you see me here? No. I had random phone calls coming from people in Connecticut saying, I heard your name through the grapevine. I'd love for you to be legal counsel on this matter in Massachusetts. And I'm basically handling matters from my home. Yeah. So it's, that's how I got to know God. Like, it was like, it was like God confessing his love to me over and over and over. Just like, Peter, here's another bouquet of roses. Here's this, here's that, here's that. I'm right here. Will you acknowledge me? And as I acknowledged him, things that had made my life so miserable and so hard for so long started to fall off, like literally like scales were falling off one by one. And then all of a sudden, I started getting healed. Like I started getting physically healed and emotionally healed and spiritual attacks start decreasing. And other people start coming around like just, it's not you, it's, it's, it's the presence of God in you. Other people were coming around. And then for the first time ever, I felt a movement of God where I felt the Lord say, pray for that woman. There was a woman, she was at a, um, at a place that does um, uh, that water, clen colono not colonoscopies, uh, colonics, that's it, to cleanse out your bowels and stuff like that. I was at that place for some dietary stuff. There was a woman rocking back and forth. I could see in the room just a little bit. And she was like 30 something. And I said to the owner of the place, Carol Ann, what's wrong with her? She says she has cancer. Um, they're saying that she have she should have passed already. We're just basically trying to keep her alive through, you know, giving her green juices and all this other stuff. We're trying to keep her going. And I said, Carolyn, I just literally heard from God, and this has never happened before. He said, pray for her. And so Carolyn said, then go pray for her. And so I said, well, I don't know what to do. Like, what does that mean? Like, I don't, what do you, oh, please be healthy. Like, I don't know what to do. She says, well, let me ask her. And so the woman's like, yeah, please. And so I went over, I took my right hand, I put it on her arm and I said, God, would you please heal her? And I felt this power go through me, Josh, that I had never felt in my life. Now you would think like it would be like an angelic moment. You hear the, ah, like the light would shine in yeah. the room and like, you know, feathers would fall and like, you know, you think all that would happen. No, I panicked because I had never felt this before. I had never felt the power of God. I didn't know that God was powerful. God is no joke. 
like when he said let there be light to this day that is still manifesting galaxies like scientists are saying galaxies are still manifesting they don't understand why it's because a long time ago he said let there be light until his word has finished manifesting what he intended for it to do it will continue doing that so we serve a powerful god so i had my hand on her and i said be healed the power of god goes through me freaks me out i let go of her immediately and i said amen and i ran out of that room <laughs> it was like gone it was not like an angelic moment well, I get a phone call later that day. Carolyn says, I don't know what you did, but all the pain in her body left. She had no pain at all. Wow. Now, uh, several months go by. And then one day, like she's in the hospital again. And um, I get a phone call and I'm doing some plumbing work in the house. And Carolyn says, she's asking for you to pray for her again. And I said, for what? She says, she's in a lot of pain. They don't think she has much time left. Would you pray for her? I said, sure. I said, put her on the phone. I said, you know, um, all pain, leave her body now. Comfort come now. Boom. All the pain left. She had complete peace in her entire body. She was fine for a few more days and then she passed away. That was my first experience ever with healing the sick. To this day, through the grace of God, I've healed hundreds. I've seen eyes open, ears like legs grow like things that that are in the movies that's like my daily life so my relationship with god grew through his just saying peter i'm here acknowledge me i'm trying to help you i'm trying to help you and when i finally came to the end of myself it allowed god to be who he truly is which is our savior and so he saved me from addiction issues he saved me from you know the pornography issues he saved me from marital issues, work issues, anxiety issues, fear issues, like boom, boom, boom. And it led into a very strong relationship with him that's turned into a healing ministry. Wow. That's amazing. Um, Peter, there's so much, there's so much there that I want to get into, but let's, um, I got a couple, I got a couple themes I want to ask you about, but to continue with where we are now, um, you know, really what we're talking about, and this is what struck me from the first time we met is that, and, and it's really what you're explaining here, that we're invited into participation in the gospel of the kingdom. We're invited to be a partner with the Lord in the Lord's business. And that's what I'm hearing you say. You're carrying that into the marketplace. You're carrying it on your doctor's appointment. You're carrying it everywhere you go. So yeah. let's dig in a little bit more to this marketplace message in the workplace, right? The corporate arena, mm -hmm. like you, you're... <laughs> You're a, a certain type of occupation, like to be a lawyer, you know, you guys are known as sharky, right? You guys go after, you yes. guys are like, you're hunters and you'll like take someone's head off because you want to win so bad and you want to win on behalf of your client, right? But it's really cutthroat. Yeah, not horrible. every, yeah, not every occupation has that element to it. So I want it's you to true. share with us because the theme here is for the guys that are listening, like they have this call on their life as well to bring the kingdom into their, their marketplace, the workplace, their lifestyle. And it doesn't matter if they're in a boardroom, if they're a blue collar guy, if they're a white collar guy, if they're digging a ditch or if they're, you know, arguing a case in front of a judge. So can you just tell us and share a little bit about how do you demonstrate the kingdom? How do you partner with the Lord in the work that you're doing, like your nine to five day in and day out? Yeah, that's a great question. 
it really takes a lot. It really takes a lot of wisdom and discernment, honestly, because um, there's there's a point of surrender to God where you just say, "Look, you've saved me. Now do whatever you want with your life, with my life." Like you just kind of get to that point. Now, some people might be listening and going, "All right, that's I don't even know what that means. Like, what does that mean? Do whatever you want. Does that does that mean baptize people in the lunch break room? I mean, what does that mean? Sure. Right? Mean? Well, it's 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 actually simpler. All right. The word says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right. And the word there is agapeo. And then the second commandment is to love your neighbor as you would yourself. Right. And most people, when they see that love your neighbor as you would yourself, that they don't realize that the word there again is agapeo. That means the same level of love that you're supposed to love God with is the same level of love that I'm supposed to love you with and everybody that I work with. Now, that wow. means opposing counsel. That means your clients. That means your boss who's a knucklehead. That means everybody you're supposed to love at that level. And in fact, where scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that word love is agapeo. So that level of love that you're expected to have for your coworkers, your knuckleheaded boss, your the judge you don't like, opposing counsel who's lying and cursing and being sarcastic and belittling is the same level of love that God had for you that he would allow his only begotten son to die for you. That's the level of love you're, you're called to have for these people. So in your daily life, what does that mean? It means really just being Christian. It means just trying to bless others not, when they're attacking you in certain circumstances, seeing past that, understanding that the way that they're acting really is a product of their own circumstances and has nothing to do with you. Literally, like you you just see through it, right? But the most important thing is to remain at peace through it. And you can only remain in peace based on how close you are to God, right? Because in the presence, the word says, in his presence is fullness of joy. You have to be in relationship with God to maintain your peace. If you can maintain your peace, then a number of things will happen. Number one, the way the other person is acting will have no basis on how you act. Zero. Because you're at peace. Like, I don't, I don't care what they do. Like, you're at peace. So it's even in scripture where he says, turn the other cheek. Well, how's that even possible unless you're at peace? I'm Puerto Rican. Somebody hits me. I want to hit them back. I mean, just be clear. I mean, that's in my blood, all right? Yeah. Fortunately, I have a new bloodline, right? It's Jesus Christ. So right. it's different now. But the point of the matter is, if I'm maintained at peace through my relationship with God, then I can hear him clearly, then I can minister to other people, then I can do life with them. So I'll give you like a practical example of what this yeah, means. Yeah, I want to hear it. Some people will probably be thinking, this is very theoretical. You're saying be Christ-like. What does that even mean? All right. So I'm on a call with opposing counsel, all right? Uh, I'll just say his, his, we'll say his name's Gary, right? He's out in, in another state. We're in a major, major patent litigation matter worth tens of millions of dollars. I just got off a call with him. We have a meet and confer. And he was sarcastic. He was rude. He was condescending. It was horrible. I get off to the call. To, and I felt like I literally needed to bathe. Like it was that dirty of a call. Now, I don't curse. That, that, I don't, I, I, that's just not me. Right. And I don't like the, the sarcasm. I don't like the condescending comments. I think that's beneath me. Right. Like mm -hmm. I'm kingdom. So if I'm kingdom, right. those things, they don't they're not of me anymore. Right. 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 So so I hang up the phone, spend a little time with the Lord. 
And I hear from the Holy Spirit, I kid you not, call him back. Like I hear very strong in my spirit, call him back. And I was like, call him back. Like, what am I going to do? Like, say what? You're a bad person? Like, I, I don't understand. What am I supposed to do? So I sat with this and the Lord had told me multiple times, call him back, call him back. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. So I decided to go back and just focus on work. As I'm focusing on work, I cannot understand the words that I'm reading. I'm not kidding. God literally made it so that my mind was not working properly. Like some people will probably go, what does that even mean? It's like, I'm telling you, when God wants something to happen and you're his vessel, he's going to make the thing happen, right? Because this wasn't about me. This was about this other gentleman and many other people and literally the court system. So I said, okay, well, clearly this is not going to stop until I obey God. So I said, all right, I'll call him. So I call his cell. He doesn't answer. I hang up. I say, see, I did what you told me to do, Lord. I'm done. I left and I go home from work, right? The next morning is a Saturday, but I got to make up time from work. So I come into the office again, call him. I'm like, are you kidding me? I did it yesterday. He didn't answer. Like, what do you want me to do? And now thoughts are starting the race. Like, this is the number one client of the firm. They're bringing millions in. This is opposing counsel. He can call the state bar and report me, basically saying opposing counsel called up and said that God told him to call me. Like, you know, how's that going to look? All these thoughts are starting to come, which, quite frankly, are the enemy trying to stop you from doing what God's telling you to do, right? And so finally, I just said, I just bring my mind captive to Christ. Shut up, enemy. I need to understand why God wants me to call this guy so badly. So I looked him up on his, in his law firm, right? He's the head of the law firm. And when I read under his bio, it says he's the deacon at his church. And I go, oh my gosh, the deacon at the church is doing this? Now it makes sense. God's calling out to his son to say, look, you can't do this. You're representing the kingdom. You, you cannot be like the world. So I said, okay, God, I got it. Now my heart's really racing because now I understand how serious this is. So I reach out to him. He doesn't answer. So I text him. He says, and I tell him, this is a personal issue. It's not related to work. He texts me back, says, I'll call you back right after I'm done with this event thing. He calls me up. I said, Gary, I just want you to know, um, while we're in the world, we're not of the world. Like I'm the head of my department at my firm. You're the head of your firm. You have associates beneath you. If we don't represent the kingdom of God, who is going to represent the kingdom to them? Who's going to do it? If we don't do it in the workplace, how is the legal profession supposed to be transformed? How is any of this going to happen unless we do it? We're the heads. Like, we're the top of the food chain. What we do, other people will follow. We have to represent the kingdom. And so there were other things that the Holy Spirit said, and I'm just speaking them, not, not like reprimanding them, just speaking, you know, out of love. Conversation goes, I'm speaking for like 10 minutes, long pause. And he says, Peter, no one has ever talked to me like that ever in my entire life. Thank you. I never thought of it that way. I never realized that I'm representing the kingdom. You're right. I am. Like I'm the D. De- I didn't even tell him. I didn't even tell him. I know that you're a deacon at church. I didn't even mention that because that that would have been a low blow, right? So he said, you know, he even volunteers. I'm a deacon at my church. Like this is a big deal. Like I need to represent the kingdom. Like that was amazing. Thank you. So I thought the call was over. 
Well, then the Holy Spirit says, pray for him. And I was like, this is opposing counsel. I don't want him to win. Like, I don't want to pray for him. <laughs> I'm not saying, just so the audience understands, I am not a perfect vessel here, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to be obedient. And so I'm like, you want me to bless him? This is the guy who I'm fighting. And so the Lord said, bless him. I said, all right. So I start praying for him. And the Lord is like just downloading all these blessings. And then I'm blessing his wife, his girls. And then the Lord reveals that he has a neck issue and a shoulder issue. And I said, Gary, you have a neck issue. Neck be healed now in Jesus' name. Shoulders be healed in Jesus' name. They're both completely healed. On the phone call, he says, what in the world is going on? I said, welcome to the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God is. This is who we are. We represent the kingdom where we go. Now, the next time we were in court, typically he would interrupt me. Typically he would fight. Typically he would say something condescending. Instead, in front of the judge, he says, Your Honor, I think Mr. Nieves might have an, a contrary point on this issue. We should allow him to speak. Joel, th wow. th this doesn't happen. Unheard Josh, of, right? This does not happen, Josh. Huh? This is unheard of, right? In what, the was what was that? This oh, is this unheard of, In right? court, this does not happen. Yeah, opposing right. counsel does not say in the middle of their argument, Mr. Nieves may have a contrary point he'd like to present to the court. The judge looks at us and says, what is going on here, guys? And Garrett, Garrett's like, what? Like, this is the way we're supposed to do court. And the judge says, yes, this is the way we're supposed to do court. It's nice that we're finally doing it the way we're supposed to do court. <laughs> so that's an example of yeah. bringing the kingdom of God into the legal system. And we can do this in any area. Like, in, I don't care if you're like, you know, an engineer, a garbage man. Like my, my uncle was a garbage man for many years moved up the chain, you know, became a supervisor, and he makes remarkable money in retirement now because the state pays him. It's incredible. So um, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you can come into agreement with what the Lord's saying and what he's guiding you in and love other people regardless of what they're doing to you, you will transform your industries. And who do you think benefits? You do. I mean, that's not the reason why you're doing it, but all of a sudden like people are seeing you in a different light. And so typically the reason why people don't step into this is because of, it's usually one of two things, one of three things, fear, pride, mm -hmm. or ego. Mm -hmm. It's one of those. It's usually one of those. They're afraid. What's my boss going to think? What's my client going to think? What's my wife going to think? What's my husband going to think? Right. That's what they're thinking. Or, yeah. or it's pride. It's like, no, I don't want to do that because, you know, I have this, this reputation I have to maintain. Or it's ego. You know, it's, it's usually one of those. But what you don't realize is God already knows not only what you want, but he knows what you need. Right? And on top of that, the word says he makes all things happen for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You can love God, but not move in accordance with your calling. So if you're aligned with what he's calling you to doing and you're being obedient to him, then as you're obeying him, you're just being blessed. It's just the way the system works. It's, it's not to manipulate the system. It's just that's how great your God is. It's like when he's giving you something, he's blessing your kids. It's just the way he works. It's, it's amazing. So that's, yeah. yeah, it's kingdom life.
It's awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. Um, there's so much there. What do you say to the guy who's listening right now? And you know, this is new to him. You know, there's some of us listening. We might yeah. just have a bunch of biblical principles. And we we know Jesus is Savior. We may not know him as Lord. You know, you're explaining a daily relationship, right. a fellowship where we're walking in this constant yeah. communion. And um, we're listening. We're praying, but we're listening. And then we're obeying and we're moving in partnership. Um, what do you say to the guy on the sideline right now? He's like, hey, I, I know Jesus, but I don't know him the way Peter's saying. Is Peter special? Like right. you're explaining a pretty phenomenal relationship here, nope. Peter. So um, explain to yeah. us and, and, you know, how do we get off the sidelines to step into this life, this kingdom life you're explaining of demonstration, of partnership, and of really knowing the Lord, yeah. right? It's not just the outward. The outward follows yeah. the inward, but knowing him on such a level, the way you're you're framing this up for us today. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to answer that. Um and I'm by no means a pro in it, right? I'm just, I could tell you what, what actually works. Uh, really going before God and saying, I want to know you better. I want to know you more. I, I See, there, there's two, the word of God comes in multiple forms. It comes in the Logos word of God, which is a written word of God. And then there's the Rhema word of God, which is a spoken word of God. Most Christians, they'll, they're all over the Logos word of God. They'll read the Bible. But what we don't realize is when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your spirit and Holy Spirit become one, right? Holy Spirit breathes life into the written word. So you now can know what the word means. And literally, you can read the same scripture over and over and get deeper revelation and deeper revelation and deeper revelation. So anytime that you open the word of God, what I would encourage everybody to do is before you even open the word of God, say, Holy Spirit. Will you glorify Jesus and would you speak to me in your word? Literally, before you open the word. Because if you treat the Bible as a book, you're, ne you're never going to experience God to the fullness. There's so much more. God is he's seeking a relationship. Right? When the word says that he tore the curtain, right? that's so you have direct access to God. Well, that means we don't need to go in front of another person to get permission to talk to God. Jesus said you have permission. I tore the, the curtains torn. Like the Holy of Holies is now within you. It's not some faraway, never, never land that you're praying out to. The Holy of Holies is in you. Like the presence of God is within you, literally. And so what you do is you say, I would just get still. And I would say, Jesus, I want to get to know you more. I thank you for what you've done. And I just want to get to know you more. I want to get to know you as Lord, as friend. I want to build a relationship with you. Just like you would like with your, your wife or your husband, right? You don't go to a third person to say, hey, what's my wife's favorite food? Or like, hey, what's my wife's favorite drink? Or what movies should I go to? It's like, no, you talk to your spouse. Hey, what's your favorite food? Or you pay attention, you look. And that's the second thing that I would encourage people to do. Look to see what God is doing. God is always moving. Always. Non-stop. Literally. He has angelic beings with you, tending to you. Literally working on your behalf. All right? And so he is moving. So if you want to see more activity, if you want, because God's already moving, you just have to be able to fine-tune to see what he's doing. So if you want to become more cognizant of the presence of God, and experience him more, start acknowledging what he's already doing. 
Because what you're doing, the word says, be anxious over nothing, but in everything, bring your prayers and petitions to God with thanksgiving. It says with thanksgiving, right? It says thanksgiving. So bring your prayers and petitions to God with thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is so important because what you're doing is your spirit already, and your, your spirit and Holy Spirit are already one. That's already there. But now you're battling your flesh and your soul. Your soul is your thoughts, will, and emotion, right? So now you've got to train your flesh and your soul to acknowledge God. Your spirit already knows God's there. There's no doubt. That's already done. But how do I train my flesh and my soul, which is my thoughts, will, and emotion, to acknowledge God so that, so that I can see him more? When he does something, acknowledge him and thank him immediately. How do you get your spouse to do more things for you? You acknowledge what your spouse did and you thank them immediately. You don't wait to five months down the road and go, I remember when you cooked me a meal. Boy, that was good. No, the second that you eat it, you're like, this is incredible. This is the best that I've ever had. Oh my gosh, thank you. I love you for this. Be that same passionate individual with Jesus. So if you're driving, I'll give you simple examples. You have to go to a building, you drive by the building, and a parking spot literally opens the second that you get there. You see a car pull out. Thank you, Lord, so much. You just saved me the time of walking down the street to come to this place. Now you go over to the meter and you look at the meter and there's an hour and a half still on the meter. Thank you, Lord. I now don't yeah. even have to pay for their meeting. the meter. You are awesome, Jesus. Thank you. Like when you start doing that with the little things, you're going to start seeing what God is doing more and more. As you do that, your relationship's going to grow because you're going to be able to see those things. You're now training your flesh and your soul to acknowledge the presence and the activities of God. And as you do that, it's not that God's doing more. It's that you're seeing it more. Now what you can do since you're seeing it more is you can engage with God. Now you can say, Lord, I see what you just did. Can we do this also? Now you're building communication with God. Do you see? And so now all of a sudden, it's a relationship. It's not a one-sided, Jesus, you did that for me. I'm so excited about going to heaven, which I, by all means, am. I don't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. Like, I know it. If anybody knows it, I know it. You know, but he not only did that, he said, you can have a relationship with me now. And so if you want to start unraveling this relationship side and start moving in like a life of kingdom where you're seeing the blessings, you're seeing signs and wonders, you're seeing things transform around you, start out by inviting him. Stop, say, Lord, I want to build a strong relationship with you. Will you make me more aware of what you're doing? Holy Spirit, will you glorify Jesus and let me see what's happening? I ask this in Jesus' name. And as you see those things, start to speak them out. Give them thanks. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge them. I'm telling you, you're going to train yourself to look. It's like when you're lifting weights, you can't start out by benching 250 pounds. I mean, maybe you can, but most people can't. You got to start out lower. And as you're doing that, you're tearing muscle fibers, and then those muscle fibers heal, and then your muscle grows, and now your muscles get stronger, and you can lift more and more and more. It's the same thing in the spirit. you got to acknowledge things, even if they're small. Acknowledge them. Now, every month, once in a while, you might see some resistance. A friend who says, You're, what's that about? Like, I mean, I'm just being real with your audience here. You might get a friend who's like, 
when did you become a Bible beater? Like, what's that about? You know, I don't get that. But I'm telling you, those same friends are the ones that are going to call you when they're sick, when they have issues, because all of them are calling me now. And all of them want to hang out now. You know, back then it was kind of like, why don't you gamble as much? Why aren't you drinking as much? I don't understand. Even though we already had a strong relationship, they didn't kind of isolate, but they still were a little standoffish. But that's kind of like the muscle tearing. So now your muscle is getting bigger and bigger. Now you can bench 250 pounds. So what does that mean? Now you're walking down the street. You're seeing what God's doing. And you're hearing God say, pray for that guy. And you know what to pray because God, you hear his voice and you know it. And boom, it manifests because you're just being obedient. Yeah, that's amazing. Peter, I want to thank you for joining us today and just that amazing practical application of just meeting us where we're at, what we can do, what practical steps we can take forward. And guys that are listening, I, I just want to charge you to to step out of the boat and get a little uncomfortable. I know when Peter mentioned those three things that we battle with, for me, it's fear. Like even putting this show out into the atmosphere and taking the first step to say, okay, I'm going to speak a little bit more. I'm going to launch this dream or this thing that's in my heart that I feel I'm supposed to and I'm called to release. It's overcoming fear. And I've been in those exact situations where... I felt the urge where I need to pray for this some, for someone or someone's highlighted to me and I need to say something. I need to open my mouth and share something. Or maybe it's a friend or a colleague. You're already having a conversation with them and you're like, you know what? You can inject your testimony or you can inject something um, to draw them closer to the Lord. And for me, it's always stepping through fear to to do what I'm called to do. And every time I do, it's always met usually met with that reaction of, wow, thank you. And even when it's not, Peter, I love what you said because people hold on to it and they'll remember you. And then when they need something in the yeah. future, they know like there's something different about that guy. Or maybe I turned him down it's, once for prayer, so but true. there's something there. Yeah. yeah. So, Can I share one thing real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll share one, one more thing real quick that I think will drive what you just said home. One day I'm sitting in Panera with two other with two pastors, right? Richie and Jorgen. And right across from me is a table with five elderly gentlemen, right? They're like, 60 years old and, and older. The Lord gives me a word that one of them, his lower back is messed up, right? I had never, I had never done this. I had never gotten up, gone to a table to pray for somebody where other people were around. Like I'd never done that. So to me, that was a big stretch. So I'm thinking, oh boy, well, God said something, so I should be obedient. So I, and they had been talking about hunting. Well, I'm a hunter. That's great. Great opener. So I walk over to the table and say, hey guys, I live in Dumbarton. I, you know, I heard you guys were talking about hunting. I'm a bow hunter. They're like, oh, you're a bow hunter? Yeah. So we started doing some hunting talk for about five minutes. Then the opening was there. And I said, hey, bro, um, your lower back, you get lower back pain, right? And he says, uh, why? And I, and I didn't know how to reveal to him that God said this and the pray. So I made it, I made it way more than it had to be. It could have just been, you know, it just, it seemed like you were in pain. I just want to pray for you so the pain will go. Like now I know how to do that. But back then I didn't. So I made it all spiritual. I said, well, I heard the Lord say that your lower back was in pain. And so <laughs> I was wondering, you know, if I could pray for you. The guy who's right next to me to the right stands up in the middle of Panera. He says, you Bible beating freak. He's wow. like, I'm out of here. I mean, worst scenario you could ever think of. Stands up. Right. And so he stands up in front of everybody out loud in the restaurant 
Bible being freak. I'm out of here. And I said, no, guys, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'll leave you guys alone. I just, I knew he was in pain and I didn't want him to be in pain. And the guy says, no, I don't have any back pain. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. My mistake. I go sit down. And the guy's like, oh my gosh, I can't deal with you kind of people. You guys are trying to push your religion. I was like, no, 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 I'm not trying to push religion. Like I'm apologizing. Things I wouldn't do today, right? But I had just been starting out. This was like eight years ago. Now this is the best part. The guy gets up, he leaves. I go to sit down. The two pastors are laughing their heads off. Like they think it's the best thing they've ever seen. They're cracking up. And I was like looking down. I'm so embarrassed. And I have incredibly good hearing because I'm a hunter. So I, I can hear something from very far away. And I heard the guy across from the man whose lower back was in pain. He said to him in a really low voice, he said, didn't you say this morning that your back was killing you? And the guy just puts his head down and he doesn't say anything. So that was the acknowledgement from God that the guy was in pain and God wanted to heal him. But but there was an issue in how to deliver that message. All right. few months go by, right? Every single week when I go to meet with those guys, those other guys are there. Same guys. They always show up at the same time. So every time that I'm there, the guy would say, Hey, Pastor Pete, how are you doing? Hey, Pastor Pete, how are you? Where's your Bible? Like he'd make fun of me, right? And then I, I kind of found it funny. Like, I just started laughing. And he kind of found it humorous, too, because he was teasing me. And we built this incredible rapport, like me with these guys, right? And we yeah. became like best friends all of a sudden. Well, lo and behold, one of them goes through this very serious health issue. And he's trying to breathe while he's at Panera. And I come over immediately and I said, can I pray for you? And the whole table stops. And the guy says, yes, please. And I pray over him and his breathing comes back. Wow. And the guys at the table were like, whoa, like, what was that? You know, and that man, when it came to Christmas, as I was sitting at a table with eight other people in a Bible's journaling group at Panera, comes over to me with a package. And he says, I want to give this to you. Like he interrupts the Bible study. He stands there patiently. And he says, I want to give this to you. And I have it right there. And, he's, and I said, what is it? He says, this is a gift to you. He says, I want you to have this because you're a good person. And I lost it. Like I'm crying profusely. And I open it up and it's a painting that he made for me. And it's, um, it's right there on my wall. It's a lake scene because he knew I was a, a fisherman also. It's a lake scene with a boat. It's a quiet area, a beautiful field, nice sunny day. He painted it himself for me. That's what you do when you come into agreement with what God says, even if, and I consider that to be a worst case scenario to me, that I wanted to give everybody that example of the absolute worst of the worst that could possibly happen. Right. That's not right. going to happen like 98% of the time. That's not going to happen. But in that worst case scenario, a relationship with five gentlemen came out. One man was healed of something that doctors couldn't heal. And many other things have happened since. So don't hold back on what your calling is. The Lord doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So move forward in what he's called you to do. And literally you'll change lives just by being obedient. It's pretty awesome. Okay, Peter, thank you so much for everything you shared today. Now, we have a lot of entrepreneurs. We have a lot of businessmen that listen to this show. And someone may be interested actually in your work and what you do. And I know that 
you now have a course and a challenge where you're helping people protect their ideas, their businesses, and their intellectual property. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and where people can go if they want to connect with you? And I'll drop those links in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to share that with them. So many people may not know this. 90% of startups fail. That's like, that's not my number. That's the SBA number, 90%. And one of the things that's found to actually minimize your chances of failure is to actually own your own ideas. So to own the name of your company, the name of your products and services, to own the apparatus, the system, the devices, to own the website content, your images, to be able to actually claim ownership to the to those things. And that's done through intellectual property. So it's no surprise that I entered into a field that's very protective. Based on my background, intellectual property is really protection. It's protection of ideas. That's really what it's it's focused on. So what I decided to do, because I can't, most people who are entrepreneurs do not have a lot of time. And so what I did was I created a course. It's five days, one hour a day. It's a challenge. Okay, and so it's online through Zoom. You go into a a private Facebook group as well. And I train people on the important principles of patent law, trademark law, copyright law, trade secret law. I teach them how to do a trademark search. I teach them how to do a trademark application, how to file a copyright application, how to do a search for a patent search through the USPTO. Like I train them on the important practical skills that skills that you must know to be a successful entrepreneur. Because if you don't know these things, I can't tell you how many times, Josh, I get a phone call from somebody who says, I've been doing this for two years, two and a half years. I got a cease and desist letter. Now I have to change the name of my company, the name of my product, change my molds, which costs another fifteen to $20,000 or other things. Or I've got to cut a check to somebody because I'm committing patent infringement, trademark infringement, or some other kind of infringement. Or the other communication is, why is it that I spent all this time making this book or having all this content on my website and somebody just copied it and pasted it on theirs? That's not fair. Well, that's covered by copyright law. So if these people would understand these basic principles, then their lives would be way more successful, quite frankly. They have a higher chance of success. And so I created this challenge for them. It's $95. Uh, the reason why I actually have a dollar amount on this, quite frankly, is because I want to make sure the people that join are committed. I don't want people that are going to jump in and just kind of waste time. Like, th- you need to take this serious. You need to understand that the odds are against you succeeding. Understanding these principles in intellectual property law will increase your chances of success. I guarantee it. And so for $95, five hours, one hour a day, basically from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock Eastern, you can learn these principles. Now, once you're in the Facebook group, the videos are available for 30 days. So even if you miss a day or you can't make any of the days, you can watch it at your leisure. I do have an offer there also that's VIP for people that are very serious about this, where they have their own personal questions. They can email me their personal questions and I will review them and go over the answers to those things in VIP. Now, I bill at $600 an hour. Uh, I was going to say, that sounds insane. It is insane. And and I've actually been reprimanded by higher-ups that you and I both know who have said, you're charging too low. Um, but the fact of the matter is, look, if you got a startup or you're an entrepreneur, you've got to learn this. So I've got to keep the the information accessible. 
be it, make it brief. So it's not taking a month for you to learn. It's literally five hours. If you got your personal issues, bring it into VIP. You really need to be there because now you can actually get some feedback from an attorney and not pay thousands of dollars. Although I don't give legal advice. Yeah. Peter, that's amazing. Like, and that, that just shows me your servant's heart again. I mean, you are at the top of your game when it comes to your area of specialty and to make this accessible for people that are struggling, for people that are starting and no matter where they are in the game, um, that's just an awesome example of living out everything we talked about today. So I just want to thank you again for joining us. We're going to drop those links below. So if anyone's interested in connecting with Peter personally, they want to join that challenge, they want to protect their ideas, or maybe you have an idea and you've been carrying it and you know it's something that you feel called to do and now's the time to release it. Here's a resource for you to protect it right from the get-go. So guys, thanks again for joining us. All the links will be below in the show notes. And let's raise the standard and bring the kingdom into the marketplace. Guys, let's get after it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map, and you can get it at standard59.com. In The Map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get the map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard.